The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. your pencils and get your notebooks out. It's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Phantom. Welcome, oh welcome, ye faithful scholars, to another edition of the Star Seminar, your team taught course in advanced, i.e. graduate level, Cowboysology. Yes, it's a team taught course. I am one of your professors, Dr. Rabble Rouser, and with me, as always, is the great, the esteemed, the internationally renowned scholar of Cowboysology, Dr. Danny Phantom. How are you today, sir? I am doing well. I mean, I don't know how you can't be with the Cowboys starting the way they have started. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just, it's you know, it's a good time, you know, to to be rooting for this team, and after what we've seen the last couple of weeks i just the excitement just keeps growing and growing so um i'm in a good mood i i, I love what i'm seeing rabs uh i mean i think that both of us were excited going into next last week after what we saw week one but then mm -hmm. turn around and and see what happened uh against the jets i mean it just it's it just keeps continuing so I, I, what what where's your overall mood right now with with after what you saw on Sunday? That's a really good question. I I think my mood is is um well I mean obviously it's good uh but I will I let me let me I'm going to start by saying this which is that typically when the Cowboys have an important win or or big win I like to you know go on um you know NFL Plus and and watch the replay a couple times or like you know delve into it more. And the Jets game, I started to do that a couple times, and I I stopped because, frankly, I found the game to be a little boring. And I found the game to be a little boring for this reason. I mean, listen, a thirty to ten Cowboys win against a team that I think ultimately, and you know, by season's end, will will be a maybe not a playoff team, but certainly like in contention. This is not a bad team that the Cowboys just walloped. Oh no! But but it was such, it was such a workmanlike effort. You know, it was one of those things where, like, the Cowboys on offense didn't make a lot of big plays. They made a few. Made a few. Didn't make a lot of big plays um, on defense. They made a few big plays, but they mostly just – I mean, it was just one of those things where they just brought their lunch pails and they just beat down an inferior opponent slowly and surely and built their lead slowly. You know, it wasn't one of those things where, like, points came in, like, a bunch of, you know, in, in a five-minute period in some kind of exciting moment where, like, they scored three times. Mm -hmm. It was just like – Jets don't get anything. Cowboys drive, long sustained drive, lots of short plays, really, really good execution, and they get a field goal. I mean, that happened again and again. So it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of game where you want to go back and see like what happened. All these really, really big plays. I mean, they certainly had some, but but it was just, like so impressive because they just rolled up their sleeves and got to work and beat the snot out of a very good, very physical team. They out-physicaled them on both sides of the ball and just wore them down. And that, I mean, that's as impressive as anything because 
that is what good teams do, right? I mean, good. If you think about, I remember, I remember uh, tweeting years ago when I was on Twitter about uh, Alabama when they were at their peak and just saying that they're like a boa constrictor. They just sort of squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and build the lead and build the lead and build the lead. And by the end of the game, they're up by 30 and it's over. And, and I think that that's not unlike how the Cowboys are going to be this year. They're just going to be better than everybody and just kind of squeeze and squeeze. And it's a series of, of incremental things where they're just going to build, build leads. And then suddenly by the end of the game, they're going to be up by 30. Yeah. No, I think, and, I, and I think that's, go ahead, a, please. I think, I'd love to hear what you have to say. I think that's a great way of looking at it. We like, you know, just talking about it, like they're putting on their hard hat, hats and, you know, just going to work and, uh, and just slowly, you know, squeezing the life out of their opponents. I, I think that's, you know, a great, a great way to put it. I, I'm curious to to know, like, what are your thoughts overall? Because, you know, last after the Giants game, people were like, oh, the defense just fantastic offense. Okay, you know, and then the Jets game, you know, it's 30 to 10. They put up 30 points on this Jets team, a really good defense. But, you know, they they didn't get any touchdowns in the second half. It was just all field goals. I mean, how, are you feeling? Pretty satisfied with, with what you're seeing on the offense side. Well, I, I, I'll ask you a question as a way of answering this question. How badly did they need touchdowns in the second half? No, they did. Yeah, they did not. Right, and so I think I, I mean, I think that that's a a fair and reasonable way to look at it. I know several pundits have have sort of offered up that as a, as a way to think about the second half, and I think that that's a, that's a, a good way to think about it now. Yeah, they they weren't great in the red zone, but they didn't need to be. Right. I mean, the, the thing is, the, the other thing about that, I mean, like if you look at the difference in terms of the number of plays, it was like 35 to like 83. I mean, I, I can't remember a Cowboys game where they ran 83 offensive plays. It's incredible. And they just they. They did have, as I said, said earlier, they did have some big plays on offense. There's a few like, you know, longer runs, a few couple a couple longer passes, but they didn't have any kind of super explosive play where they had a, a long, long touchdown or something like that. It was just execution 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 and um and they held up i mean they had their third and fourth string offensive guards in there at some point against who's you know that's probably the second best if not the best defensive tackle in football and they held up it's it was a really really impressive performance um and so i am am i worried about the offense not at all i feel like and, and this, I'm not alone in saying this, and I'm not even original in saying this. I feel like uh, I think Brad Sham might be the first person I had I heard say this, the voice of the Cowboys, where he said, "You know, Mike McCarthy played the game that was in front of him. Right? He knew how he knew what his defense was was capable of doing against a, a second tier quarterback. And once they got once they got like 21-10, he was like, "There's no need." to try to risk anything by throwing in the, in the red zone. Let's just run it. If we don't, if we don't score, we'll get a field goal and, and we'll make it a two score lead, then a three score lead, then a four score lead. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. I, I got one question for it before we move, move on with the, the Jets game too, that that's weighing on my mind that I want, I wanted your perspective on because, you know, I, I respect it. Um, is Mike McCarthy baby and Dak Prescott? What do you mean by babying? Is he, is he game planning and calling plays to keep him out of trouble? Is he kind of putting, I don't like the words dummy and down. I don't like the tra- the word training wheels as far as on the offense, but you can definitely see they're more cautious and more conservative. Um, and, you know, of course, McCarthy makes this whole point, you know, like, you know, we don't need to just run up down the field and score all these points, which it sound it seemed kind of crazy you know, to think that that's not what you want from your offense. I mean, they could have scored 50 if they really wanted to, you know, Kellen Moore's, Kellen Moore's team might've scored 50. But are you, are you, are you just concerned at all? Or at least has it crossed your mind that, that they're, that maybe the team feels like Dak is playing at a certain level and they're trying to just keep him within himself. It, it almost feels a little Legion of Boom game manager type of thing. And I'm not saying this as a slight to Dak and, uh, or even Russell Wilson when he during his the mm-hmm. Super Bowl winning season, but I feel like they're just kind of playing a little bit more cautious. And you know, we saw a really, we saw a really good Dak Prescott. Like when Kellen and, and Dak were playing, they were like just tearing it up, and and that was one thing. They were great. They were smoking teams then too, 
mm-hmm. then we saw last year where Dak was still, you know, under Kellen, trying to do some of those things, but it wasn't working so well. And then now you're kind of seeing more of a Dak's just, you know, quickly getting the ball out of it. I mean, you're just never really seeing him having to process like he had, like he had to a lot last year. Um, and I'm just wondering if, if maybe they're yeah. they're just changing things because of what they what they feel and Dak is is maybe not as high as they want. That's I'm just just one of your thoughts. I actually think that you're right in that they're changing things, but I think that they're changing things to to create something for Dak that we talked about several times. You know, it's over the last year, over the last you know couple few weeks, et cetera, which is that a good offensive coordinator provides the quarterback with a scheme where there's a lot of opportunities to just press the easy button, mm-hmm. right? The more times you, for any court, for Peyton Manning, for, for, uh, for Tom Brady, for Joe Montana, you, you name it, the greatest quarterbacks of all time for, for John Elway. What you, what you want to do is you, as great as those guys are, you want to minimize the number of times they have to throw into double coverage and hit a small window. That's the size of a, you know, the size of a manila envelope. Um, because those are the plays where bad things happen, right? Yeah. And so, um, if you listen, if your defense is as good as it is, it's possible that you you can go through games against a lot of teams, and that's I think that's what happened has happened the last couple of games against inferior opponents, where you don't actually have to ask your quarterback to do the things that Dak did last year that led to turnovers. And so, why would you if you don't need to? And I think that's actually one of the one of the great advantages in Mike McCarthy being the play caller over his predecessor, which is that um, he has. a. And I think this is what McCarthy was saying in, a, in his sort of reserved Pittsburgh, you know, D's and Dems kind of way was. You you. When he was talking about, you know, Kellen Moore just wanted to score a lot of points. I think what he really meant there was Kellen Moore in his in his objectives as an offensive coordinator was more willing to put Dak into high leverage situations. And high leverage situations are tend to be 50-50, right? They're, they're not as, they're not as, uh, it's not like you're going to win all your high leverage situations. Sometimes you might, if you have a really, really good game, you might throw several pl- passes into coverage and they end up being completed and you look like a, you look like the best quarterback ever. But the reality is the more oftentimes you do that, the harder it is for a quarterback. Yeah. And so I want my quarterback to do that no times a game because that means my running game and my, my defense are playing really really well and i don't need my quarterback to be amazing hello troy eggman's career during the (laughs) zenith of his career i mean and and then when when you do need him to make a play he's obviously capable of making a play i.e troy zenith the troy Troy eggman zenith of his career and so um i I think i think the real difference is that it's not that it's not that the offensive staff doesn't trust Dak prescott it's that the they recognize that the best Dask Dak Prescott is one who has a, a large number of easy button throws, easy button plays during a, any given game in which he can make an easy throw and allow his teammate, who's an exciting open field runner, a Cavanti Turpin, a Deuce Vaughn, a whoever, to make a play. And so, it, 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 and so in some ways, what, what they're saying is Dak set another guy up to make a play instead of you always having to make the play. Yeah. And so I don't. I actually, I actually don't think it's about trust. I think it's about um, understanding the reality of of quarterback play in the contemporary NFL landscape. Yeah. No. I. You know, it's well said too. And when you bring up not only Troy Aikman, just but they, even the '90s Cowboys. You know, you can actually start to see a lot of similarities there. With you know, because Troy Aikman was not doing. He was not in tough situations. Norv Turner pushed. You know, had the easy button available for him quite a bit. And of course, they had such a monster defense, lots of depth there. So yeah, um, no, it makes sense. And, and the thing is, he could have been, like like we saw against the you know against the 49ers in the NFC Championship Championship game in '94, a situation where every throw he made had to be a high leverage throw, right? <laughs> the easy button was taken away because they fell behind so far right. so early, right? Um, and we saw what he can do in that situation. Many people have characterized that as the as the most sort of impressive game of his NFL career. But like, we're not in this game to create impressive NFL or excuse me, impressive quarterback 
performances. We're in this game to win. Yeah. And I think that that may be ultimately the difference between we're, we're, we'll see, right? We're going to, we're going to track this over the next few weeks, but we're, it may be the biggest difference between Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore is that Mike McCarthy understands that a little bit more clearly than someone like Kellen Moore, who has not been a head coach. Does. Right. I would hope so. I mean, McCarthy's been around, he's doing this a while and, and, you know, Kellen Moore is a young play caller who's basically just trying to score as many yeah. points as possible. I, I, so. I, I have to be honest with you, dude. I, I have been so impressed with with McCarthy, especially over the last last couple of weeks. Just the way he's the way he's you know his team has has handled things. So let me let me actually say a couple more things about McCarthy because I think it's I think that you know you you have not been a big fan of McCarthy. I was not a huge fan of the hire. Like, you know, and, and I don't know anybody who was really other than maybe Jerry Jones. Right. Uh, um, and so but he's grown on me. And there's like there were two moments um, during the, the Jets game where I really thought, oh, OK, OK. All right, Mike. All right. You just you just showed me something. And I'm sure that neither neither of these is, is a surprise for you. One of them was obviously there was a penalty on the touchdown. Which meant that they, they instead of instead of having the ball to two for the extra point, they had the ball to one, and he went for it, and he went for it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I just thought that, and they didn't need to. But I thought that was such a boss move to go for two to 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 to, to get to instead of seventeen, get to eighteen. And the other was there were several plays, but the play that at the beginning of the fourth quarter where like where like Dak faked the ball to Deuce Vaughn, I think it was Deuce Vaughn, and then. Um, it looked like initially CD Lamb was going to block, and then he kind of he kind of released, and then Dak hit CD down the sideline. Mm-hmm. It was like the first play of the fourth quarter, and it was set up because of several other times where Dak was like sending guys downfield and then hitting an outlet who was who then caught the ball in space, and and several times where you know both Turpin and Vaughn in particular, and even Dowdle made hay sort of catching the ball in stride and then and then running through a, a secondary that was retreating, and so I I think the other thing about this that I'm really impressed with early on is is uh, McCarthy's play sequencing. Not only is he making it easy for Dak, not only is as Tony Romo went on in his incoherent fashion during the game oh, yeah. endlessly about about um, about uh, Dak Prescott's um, footwork and the relationship between footwork and patterns and all and timing and all that. But I think the other thing is the play sequencing and the way he's setting people up. Not only. Uh, you know, within game, but I think we're going to see game to game where, where he's going to show defensive coordinators stuff on tape, and then he's going to do plays that go off of that. I think that's something that, that Kellen Moore really struggled to do. And I think in some ways it led to Kellen Moore's offenses sort of taking a dip every year in December because he was basically out of ideas and he wasn't setting things up. So people had sort of preconceptions based on their tape study. And I think McCarthy is a lot more sophisticated at that. And we're going to continue to see that as we go on through the year. Yeah. I, um, the, the only thing that I'll add there is that I am also really impressed with McCarthy and what we've seen so far. And I mean, everything, everything is working, you know, as well as you would hope that it would be with him. And I want to also say too, as far as the Cowboys lack of scoring, if you want to call Average, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that, uh, but you know, the lack of red zones. You know, when I look at this, I'm seeing, I'm seeing opportunities still there. I mean, they had a touchdown that was taken away from a Tyron Smith penalty. They also had a couple opportunities. I think were, you know, Dak, the execution wasn't quite there, and um, and so really, it could be. Um, I, I just, I, I, I would defend Kellen Moore in those situations, so I'm defending. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, McCarthy as well. So I, I feel really good about this offense and, and the way that the teams look as a whole. So I, I have to, I have to agree, and I know we need I need know we need to move on and 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 you know look forward to the next game. But I I think that you know one of the real realities about red zone percentage etc is that it's such a small sample size that like you know one penalty or one one opportunity in the second half where you decide you know we're just going to run up the middle if we score we score if we don't we don't because our field goal is going to put it make it a three-score game you know changes their red zone scoring percentage radically and and that's largely a a matter of sample size so let's let's wait on that and see if trends emerge as we head into uh, you know through october and into november and then we can talk about and talk about that but um I think the thing that we have before us most immediately is the 
uh, Arizona football Cardinals and where they are. So, uh, you, you know, here we are against a team that has actually been a bit of a bit of a bugaboo for the Cowboys in recent meetings. Uh, last couple of times they've played them, the Cowboys have been having good seasons and really struggled against the Cardinals. So I think that, um, you know, it, it's time it's time for Rabble's Roundup. It's time for Rabble's Roundup. And we're going to take a look at the uh, opposing Cardinals. Um, and as always, what I want to do is look at, at what I'm calling the kind of, you know, the kind of backbone of a team, um, which is the uh, owner, if if that's relevant, but typically the GM, the uh, the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the quarterback. I think those are the, that's the spine of any team. And, and I want to start by looking at those guys, and then we'll talk a little bit more about about um, about this this uh, this this coming upcoming matchup. So, in in studying the Cardinals, I will say that it made me appreciate how comparatively well run the Cowboys are. Right? There's a lot to be said for continuity. I think we, you know, we I was praising it during the Ga- the Garrett administration. I think a lot of people were condemning it during the great the Garrett administration. But I do think the Cowboys understand the importance of continuity, and that's one of the, the great things about them keeping someone like Will McClay. So in early January, the, the Cardinals once again kind of cleaned house, right? And these, te- these they're one of these teams that continues to clean house. They announced the firing of, of, of Cliff Kingsbury, and they, they hired uh, Monte Osfort to replace uh, their outgoing general manager, a guy named Steve Keim, on January 16th, and then spent a whole bunch of time interviewing candidates. We'll talk more about him in a minute. Um, but I want to talk about, or talk about who they hired in a minute. But I want to talk about their their new GM. So here's a guy who has to rebuild a team that wasn't particularly deep or, or talented in the first place. And it seems pretty clear that their objective right now is to is to sort of clean house, get rid of assets, get uh, you know trade them, trade them for future assets, et cetera. As as he as he sort of targets maybe 2025 or 2026 or something like that for the team really to be, um, you know. Uh, on the on the come or uh, as an arrived team so he was hired as as the cardinals gm as i said early in mid-january after spending three years as a director of player personnel with the titans um he comes to arizona with 21 years of experience in the nfl so he's a very experienced and very well-respected guy and he's probably he i think he has a pretty clear plan um he actually brought in as his right-hand man a guy named dave sears and sears was the director of college scouting uh for the lions and was really instrumental in building the lions uh, offensive line through a series of outstanding draft picks. So um, these, these are the sort of brain trust of the, uh, you know, the Arizona Cardinals now as they got rid of the old guys. Um, and I think that they are definitely in a kind of rebuild, but that rebuild includes a teardown. Just as, as the season started, they traded their top two 2020 draft choices, um, linebacker safety hybrid Isaiah Simmons and offensive lineman Josh Jones, and they got third day, seventh round type picks, six round type picks for both of them. We're, immediate, we're immediately and probably accurately accused of tanking. And, but it does appear that that's exactly what they're doing. So um, Osford has, has managed or has amassed rather, excuse me, uh, a huge trove of picks for the 2024 draft. He's got two first rounders, a second rounder, three third rounders, a fourth rounder, three fifth rounders. I mean, so they've got a lot of assets going forward. It seems like what he wants to do is just like clean house and start from scratch with, with his kind of guys and, and build, build the team anew. So that's what they're trying to do. But in the meantime, they're trying to get by with the bottom of the league roster. So the guy who's basically been enfranchised with uh, doing that is head coach Jonathan Gannon. How much do you know about Jonathan Gannon, my friend? I don't know anything about him. So um, Jonathan Gannon, I mean, I know a little bit about him maybe from being in Philadelphia when I drive around listening to, to Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio, uh, the talk success pool that it is. So Jonathan Gannon was the Eagles defensive coordinator. He was much reviled in Philadelphia by fans anyway. And you and I actually asked one of our Philadelphia representatives last year about about him and the way he's talked about it. And, um, and that guy was like, nah, I don't, that, that, that's not accurate. But like, you know, Sports Talk in Philadelphia hates him because he has a more kind of passive defense of approach so as i said he was a he was the eagles dc last couple of years he oversaw a group that finished first in sacks and pass defense last season or uh in 2022 yeah and obviously they went to the they, they got the number one seed and went to the super bowl before that he was a db coach uh for the colts and i think this is the really important 
the important point. He played for the Min- or not played for, but um, coached with the Minnesota Vikings from 2014 to 17, where he studied under Mike Zimmer, who probably had the biggest influence on his, his development as a coach and as a defensive mind. So he's cultivated a reputation around the league as a sharp, sharp football mind. He has those quote unquote CEO qualities, which means he's probably photogenic and you know can handle himself during a press conference. Increasingly, as coaches become the face of the NFL, it's important that those guys be articulate and, you know, relatively, you know, uh, handsome and attractive and have have some sort of charisma or Q factor, whatever you want to call it. So um, here's the thing, though. Gannon's a first time head coach. He and his staff look to be in over their heads now. He hired offensive coordinator Dupentig. Uh, who's 36, and defensive coordinator, a guy named Nick Rollins, who I think was his linebacker coach in Philadelphia, who's only 30, and both men are going to oversee their sides of the ball for the first time in their careers. So this is this is like a very, very young staff. It's a very sort of cutting-edge staff, but it's also a staff where you, do, you don't have that one sort of like, you know, veteran who's seen it all and has, you know, developed quarterbacks or developed, you know, uh, built a defensive line or done any of those kind of things. These guys are all just out of their diapers. And this may speak to some some interior issues with the Cardinals, which is that Gannon's hiring bucks the trend for NFL teams to to see, to sort of try to innovate an offense and hire an offensive coordinator and then get a defensive coordinator who might, you know, sort of be a little bit, have a little more tread on his tires and be willing to stay for a while. So um, he, listen, he's got a defensive coordinator, this guy, as I just said, Nick Rollis, but, it's going to be Gannon's defense. So Gannon's defense, his his fans were not wrong in, the, in that he is a little passive. He, what he wants to do is is prevent big plays in the passing game above all else. He's not willing to do a high risk, you know, a lot of high risk blitzing and things like that to try to generate negatives. He'd rather just uh, prevent negatives against. Uh, he's willing to sacrifice run defense even to prevent big plays in the passing game. So his overarching philosophy is to prevent the big play ideally generate takeaways but like ultimately like if if you have to choose between the two i think it's to prevent the big play he likes zone coverage he does run a lot of three three man uh defensive line concepts it's, it's not that he runs a three four but it's, there's a lot of sort of three three down linemen and then a lot a lot of sort of movement and flexibility it's not unlike the stuff the cowboys have been doing where you have an elephant um position or something like that um but for the most part he's a you know he he did study under Zimmer. He's a 4-3 aficionado in terms of his base understanding. He wants to rush four and, and get as many guys in coverage as possible. Um, he is pretty big on pre-snap disguises but, uh, to muddle the picture for opposing quarterbacks. I think the thing about that is, though, that that doesn't really work that well against Drew, uh, Dak Prescott because Dak is one of the best in the league at sort of um, pre- his pre-snap process. So, as I said earlier, he ha- he hired a guy named Drew Pretzig to be his offensive coordinator. I'm assuming you've never heard of this dude before. <laughs> uh, so, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of information about him. Um, he was the quarterback's coach for the Browns. Uh, he helped Jacoby Brissett to a career year there uh, before he was replaced by Deshaun Watson when, when Deshaun Watson came back from his suspension. Before being at Cleveland, he was at Minnesota. Hello, that's the connection to Gannon. Uh, he, was with, he was with Minnesota in 2015. Um, and when Gannon was there as a defensive backs and quality control coach um, and Pentacles is probably like his offense. Most people are saying is a, is a lot like uh, the Browns offense in the, in the sense that like he learned at the, at the feet of Kevin Stefanski. Uh, so he, he, his scheme is a lot like Kevin Stefanski's scheme. It's based on sort of fundamental West coast principles. So it's really interesting. We can actually tra- track the, the, the kind of lineage here. To, to, to our friend Drew Petzig from Bill Walsh through Mike Holmgren to Andy Reid to Doug Peterson to Pat Shermer, who was Doug Peterson's offensive coordinator at um, in Philly uh, to Kevin Stefanski and ultimately to Petzig. So there's, there's a, you know, the, the Bill Walsh coaching tree is by far the, the one that's laden the most with fruit and one of the apples that's, that's um, not ripe yet, but it's ripening is, is our friend Drew Petzig. Well, so we'll see if it ever actually gets sweet. Hey, right now he's a, you know, he's, it's an unknown. So we're going to see a lot of West Coast concepts, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of what, what Cleveland ran the last couple, three years under center. You'll see a lot of quarterback under center as opposed to in shotgun. So Kyler Murray is going to have to adjust to that when he when he comes back. Right now, he's not back. Uh, there's going to be a lot of wide wide zone play action, a lot of wide zone runs, a lot of rollouts, a lot, a lot of boot action off of the wide zone. 
Um, I think one of the things we're, that we're, we should definitely look forward to seeing on Sunday are a lot of multiple tight end sets, a lot of 12, maybe even 13 personnel. That was not only the base of Stefanski's offense in recent re- seasons with the Browns, but it's one of the few positions where the Cardinals have depth in terms of NFL caliber players. They've got Zach Ertz, they've got Trey McBride, and our good friend Jeff Swaim as their oh. as their backup tight Um So, the, as I said earlier, Murray is out. Do you know who the who their uh, quarterback is now? Do I know who their quarterback is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is they it? Got Joshua Dobbs right now. Yeah. Do you know who Josh? Do Do you remember Josh Dobbs in recent history I, for the Cowboys? I remember him last year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So last year, remember, he was like this sort of aerospace engineer, smart guy with the, with the who played with Pittsburgh for years, and finally, like you know, his his time with Pittsburgh ended, and the and the Titans picked him up, and um, and uh, he was actually uh thrust into action on I think it was a Thursday night game, wasn't it? Uh where uh he had to replace an injured Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill after Malik Willis, their first round draft pick, had had underperformed for a game or two and they were still trying to make the playoffs and they sort of thrust him in there. And he was able to perform reasonably well because he's a very, very bright guy. So interestingly enough, that he was he went back to Cleveland this year and then the Cardinals at the trading deadline, traded for him to be their starter because Kyler Murray wasn't back. It, it, a lot of people thought that it might be Colt McCoy as the kind of veteran. Colt McCoy was sort of in a in a playoff with um, rookie Clayton Toons. I think they realized that Toons wasn't available yet. It's kind of the Cowboys liked a lot. This Clayton Toons. I think he's at was it Houston. I think where he went to where he played in college. At any rate, um, they actually got rid of Colt McCoy when they made the trade for Dodds. So something happened. Clearly, they didn't like McCoy. They they, they brought Dobbs in. They they knew him. I had to work with him in Cleveland. Um, he was cut there when, when, when Sean Watson came back from suspension, but he's worked with him and he was in Tennessee with Austin Ford in, in, in 2022 as well. So both guys had experience working with Dobbs in the past. Do you know what they gave up for Dobbs by chance? I think it was like a seventh rounder. Okay, it was, it was a late, okay. it was a late round pick. So I think it was one of those situations where Dobbs was not going to make the roster in Cleveland and they thought, yeah, let's bring this guy in. And I think most people at the time thought, okay, well, he's going to be, you know, he's just going to be a, a, a little extra insurance until Murray comes back. And then they cut McCoy and they were like, oh, and then, then he began, he started all season. So, um, as we know, he played he played reasonably well uh, against the Cowboys and the Titans uh, faced off against the Cowboys on, a, on a, what ended up being a fairly boring Thursday night game uh, last year. Uh, you know, he was 20 of 39, 32, had a touchdown pass and interception, you know, a very average game. His greatest asset, as I suggested earlier, is his intelligence. You know, he came right in, took control of the offense, both in Tennessee, but also a lot of the guys in in, in Arizona have said, like, the, 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 he walked right in the huddle, and he knew all the plays and was able to tell us what, what we should be doing, and he was able to direct us. And, and he, So he's lent them a lot of sort of veteran confidence in the huddle, which I think is, has been really good for a, a young team and a, a not particularly talented team. Um but he's pretty mobile, so I think he, they they can do some of the things with him that they want to do with uh, with Kyler Murray when Kyler Murray returns. Um, you know, so they'll probably try to get him on the move. You know, he ran for 40 yards and scored a touchdown last week against the Giants in the first half when they were actually scoring. Um, and I, you know, listen, if if I'm if I'm their offensive coordinator, I'm going to get him on the move as much as possible mm-hmm. as, as, to try to move the pocket uh, so that he's not just a sitting duck. Oh, he'll uh, he'll, you know, he'll be moving for the Cowboys' pass rush. Yeah, he's going to have to. They're going to have to try to move him. So here's the last thing I want to talk about. I kind of want to talk about their roster, and then and then I'm I'm really uh, eager to hear it uh, all about Phantoms Five. Um, dude, this is a roster that's been built to tank. You know, I suggested earlier that they've been trading away assets to get more draft picks for the 2024 draft. So in July, ESPN staff writers took a stab at the NFL's futures to look and gave power rankings to teams based on where they were going, you know, in, in future for each team. And they, they, they had metrics that graded on five categories. They had overall roster, not including quarterback, but a roster minus the quarterback. They had the quarterback, they had coaching, they had the draft and the front office. And out of 32 teams, the Cardinals ranked in order 32, 25, 29, 10, and 27. And they were number 32 overall. So their roster was 32nd. The quarterback was 25th. Their coaching was 29th. The draft was 10th. Not bad because they amassed a bunch of picks and their front office was 27th. And the list of talent they've lost since last year and even in recent years is staggering. We're talking about J.J. Watt. We're talking about DeAndre Hopkins. We're talking about Byron Murphy. We're talking about Zach Allen. 
And they were 32nd even before they traded away Isaiah Simmons and Josh Jones right before the beginning of the season. So, and this is a team that finished with the number three overall pick, had a four and 13 record last year, and they traded away arguably, you know, two of their most talented four or five, six players. And, um, and so this is not a particularly good team. And so pro football focus ranked Arizona's top three players as Kyler Murray, Buda Baker, and Marquise Hollywood Brown. So as you know, Kyler Murray's still out, and Buda Baker, we just heard, was lost for the season. So both of those are in, the guys are injured will miss the game on Sunday. They are, this is the last thing I want to say, they are particularly vulnerable in the middle of the offensive line, where their three starters, um, as of you know, as of last week, are a left guard, Elijah Wilkinson, who's a journeyman, the Cards are his fourth team in seven years. Um, uh, their offensive, their center, is uh, Yelda Froholt, and uh, he was a player at Arkansas. He, another journeyman, the Cards are his third team in five years. And then our old friend at right guard, our old friend Will Hernandez, yeah. uh, the former New York Giant notorious troublemaker, <laughs> but not particularly strong uh, or, or effective offensive guard. So uh, his his claim to fame really is in his his capacity for starting fights. So this is this is a team that's really going to be vulnerable at the middle. They're, they're, they have one Paris Johnson, the director Paris Johnson, who's who looks very promising as an offensive as an offensive tackle possibility but they're they're old and weak on both on, on both lines honestly if the cowboys don't win another game by 30 it will be a shock yeah no totally agree i mean definitely this is arguably one of the worst teams i mean if not the very worst and you know they don't even have their quarterback there to give them any sort of um any sort of life at all so i think we'll all be disappointed if the Cowboys can't pull this off. But the question now becomes like, how are the Cowboys going to win? What do we think is going to happen in this game? And that's why. Oh, do tell. That's why I would like to point out. I got a few things I want to throw at you, Rabs, and things that I will be looking for in this game. It's time for the Phantom Five. We'll kick this off. First thing I want to talk to you about I want to ask you, so th this would be the first game that uh, I, I'm expecting Tyler Smith to be back in action, healed up from his hamstring injury. Mm -hmm. First time we're going to have the band back together. All five there, what we were hoping to see last year, didn't get to see. We'll get to see him now. So starting fives back. Um, not only that, the Cardinals have lost LJ Collier and Carlos mm -hmm. Watkins. Basically, they're, mm -hmm. the strength of their interior defensive line so to me i'm thinking this is going to be a big game for the cowboys ground attack what do you think you think it, you know cowboys rushing attack is going to take off on sunday i do i do I, I think that this is the game where um we're gonna you know it seems it feels like especially against the last two opponents who have had very very stout pairs of defensive tackles they've tried to do some damage on the perimeter i mean they've run up the middle but they've had a couple of nice little runs up the middle usually on like a counters and interior pulls and things like that but i think this is the game where they're just going to bully and, and try to run up the middle more and i think they're going to be i think they're going to be very effective doing so yeah i i think this is this is the game where especially if it gets out of hand so, someone like rico dowdle could end up getting like 70 75 yards that's interesting you bring that up because my point number two is titled a little more rico please and mm. I tell you, you know, for a couple of reasons, for obviously what you just mentioned is if there's a heavy dose of the running game and we can see some some extra reps being available, um, you know, we like to see them go Rico's way. But another thing, too, is I was not overly pleased with all the extra work that Mr. Tony Pollard got uh, last Agreed. week. So I, I wasn't sure how you felt about that, but you know, he had 25 carries. Um, he only averaged 2.8 yards per carry, uh, which is terrible. But uh, mind you. Good Jets defense. We don't want to, you know, over mm -hmm. overlook that at all. That's that they're tough to run against, no doubt about. It. But, I, you know, there's there's some of us a little worried in the back of our mind if we start to overwork him that he's going to you know lose a little juice. And we're only talking we're only in week two and he's got 25 carries. So that is another reason why I would like to see a sprinkle in some dowdle in there. So what are you thinking there? We've got to cut back on Pollard's snaps there. Well, so I think in some ways Pollard's snaps were a byproduct of the fact that the the Jets' offense was so inept, and the Cowboys' offense ended up. I think I think 
running something like 83 plays, which is just unheard of. It's so high. And so, you know, I, I think that, I mean, I'm hoping that, that the, there won't be quite so much imbalance that the Cardinals can maybe sustain a little more offense. But I think if the Cowboys do end up running 80 plus plays again, that, that they recognize they can't give, you know, they can't give Tony Pollard 30 touches every game. They just can't. And so, yeah, I think that'll, and I think, I think Dowdle will need to get a higher percentage. And I think he's earned it. Like there were a couple of plays, like a little screen pass that he took oh, that, that little outlet that pass and ran with it. Yeah. I mean, he was so explosive, you know, and uh, he's had a couple of nice little runs. There's been a couple of little, I mean, there's a couple of runs where he runs into his blocking and I'm like, eh, the vision wasn't great, but there's been a, a couple of runs also where like he'll make a little cut at the second level and, and his explosion, like in his ability to accelerate are really impressive. I, I'm, I've been very impressed by him as, as a change of pace back. And I would like to see him, um, yeah, I'd like to see him get more snaps, more meaningful snaps. Yeah, me too. I mean, obviously, I would want him to have a healthy season because the poor guy, he, he just doesn't, hasn't had one. Um, so n- nobody wants to run him into the ground by any means. But I would like to see a better spread of the distribution there because I don't think that's that's going to be sustainable when you yeah. talk about you know the long run here. So switching over to the other side of the ball, and you touched on this a little bit already, but my number three point is stop the running quarterback. And that that mm-hmm. is Mr. Dobbs. And it's you know the so both both uh, Daniel Jones and Zach Wilson they, they had little spurts with I wouldn't say that they just ran all over by any means because they didn't uh, but they had little spurts where it's like you know they got loose and the Cowboys just like you know couldn't contain them and I, I we saw a little bit of this last year too against some teams and I felt like the Cowboys were just being a victim of their own aggressiveness and they're just they're mm-hmm. chomping at the bit. You know they're just they're they're pinning the ears back. They're gumming after you, and sometimes they lose sight and they they lack they're lacking the discipline to to stay home and, and be able to keep them contained. A player like Dobbs, I mean, he had a he, I think he had like a 23, 23 yard touchdown run last week. And mm-hmm. so if, he, yep. if he gets loose, you know he can he can make some plays. So what are you what is your thoughts about Cowboys discipline in stopping these more mobile quarterbacks? Do you care at all or just well let me ask you this would you rather have them get the sacks they're getting and and give up those runs or would you rather have them stop those runs and get fewer Why sacks you ask that question you know i'm not gonna want i don't want them to stop the sacks i want them to ha- I okay want, I, want... I, I think i think that i think that's part of the meal like that's that's part of the, the price of of being that aggressive in the pass rush and being that uh, good in the pass rushes every once in a while there's going to be a lane and, and he's going to be going the other direction i think that you know they may they may try spying more mobile quarterbacks but you know neither time i think one of the reasons why it's so frustrating for us is because those runs tended to come back to back to back right the daniel jones the very for that very first drive against the giants that you know there were a couple of plays where if you when you re, we talked about this last week when you rewatch the game you see that Actually, that first drive was not that impressive. It was mostly Daniel Jones running for his life, and he happened to have a couple of nice runs. And they got that, and they they got a you know a, um, a personal foul and, and added to added to the mix. But and then again, it was Zach Wilson. It happened to be like three plays in a row or two, three plays out of four. So I I don't I think we're more frustrated by it than it's actually a problem. Yeah. Okay. Um. So another point I wanted to talk about is you mentioned this a little bit, and it kind of scared me because I thought you were gonna you know, cover it, but you talked about the Cowboys haven't had all that much luck against Arizona in recent history. And I was doing some digging and I happened to look, and I don't know if you knew this, Raz, but since the year 2000, they, the Cowboys and Cardinals have been involved in eight games decided by one score or less. Do you know how many of those eight games the Cowboys won? One. Lower. No, they have yeah, not won yeah. any of those games. That's bad. It's crazy. That's I mean, bad. you're talking about like the member of the, I think it was Matt Breyer, the punt block where, you know, where he got hurt. Yep, yeah. In 2008. They, they lost uh-huh. that one. And then of course, everyone knows about the infamous Jason Garrett iced his own kicker, quote unquote. You know, yep. Yeah, I was actually at that yeah, game. Uh-huh. Uh, so, and there's been a few. So, so my, my point number four is I think there's going to be a big play coming from the special teams. I think they're going to be able to get this monkey off their back. I don't think this is going to be, one of those one-score games, mind you. Uh, but I think this is one of those times where they're going to have a special teams play in their favor in the desert that's going to work out for them. Of course, you know, they, we have a couple of USFL players, you know, that former USFL players mm-hmm. that can make this happen with Cavante Turbin and, of course, all-world kicker 
soccer phenomenon, Mr. Brandon Aubrey. I mean, who who would have mm-hmm. thought that that he'd be working out as well? So, what do you think? You, you liking this special teams group? No, very much so. And I think I think I think Bowen's fossil is is really in his bag right now. I think that uh, there's a bunch of guys uh, who are really dynamic who are on those special teams. And um, I mean, I don't know if they have a big special teams play, but I think the special teams are certainly good. They'll, they'll win that phase. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I, they'll win that phase. Yeah, they're gonna have a play. Just they're gonna have it. I can tell. I, I think so. I don't know what's gonna be. I, I think you know what Turpins do. Turpin is due, and I tell you, and, mm-hmm, you make, mm-hmm. and you're absolutely right. I mean, we're talking about um, how great Quinn is, and then McCarthy's been fantastic. I don't think John Fossil gets enough credit, to be quite honest, but he's doing a great job. But my last point, and, um, you know, that we got to cover this, is we got some bad news on Thursday when we learned that uh, cornerback Trayvon Diggs suffered a torn ACL and will miss the rest of the year. So no Diggs. Um, Cowboys are going to have to figure out life without him. And obviously, I think, you know, that means that Deron Bland is going to go from slot to the outside. And we just so happen to get Jordan Lewis Lewis back at the right time. So that helps. And then the Cowboys Mm -hmm. made that trade for Noah um, Igbenogane. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so they got, so they're better on the outside. He's better on the outside than Calvin Joseph. So that's, that's good. Cowboys safety group is super deep. And of course, we get Dono back. So that's helpful. And of course, one of your favorite things is, what makes a good quarterback group? A fantastic pass rush. So I am less worried about this, what's going on, than maybe the average fan. But I needed to know, what are your thoughts? And are, how do you think the Cowboys uh, mitigate this issue? Well, I think I think the the uh, the plan that you uh, outlined is exactly what they'll do. I mean, I think that, you know, I think a lot of people were thinking, why did they keep Jordan Lewis? Why didn't they put him on POP? Why didn't they get, try to get rid of him? You know, and I think that's precisely... Uh, in case something like this happened because he was the number four corner and he does have the ability to step in and give you really good snaps um, as a nickel, especially a nickel against smaller, quicker guys. I, I think they're they're probably going to have like four or five guys play the nickel. You know, yeah. it's going to be a safety linebacker hybrid type of, there'll, there'll be a bunch of different, you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see uh, Mukwamu and, you know, we'll see other people play, play important snaps at nickel. Um so the question really is, you know, what's the drop off between Trevon Diggs and and, and Deron Bland? Um, and I think the other question is that this is really going to give us clarity on what uh, Stefan Gilmore has left. Yeah. Right. Because Stefan Gilmore was essentially functioning as their second corner, and he and the safety help was, and I think they were probably bringing safety help over to his side more often they were more likely to to put trevon diggs on an island he was an ascending sending young talent and you know nobody wants nobody wanted to throw him because he was such uh such a, a turnover generator you know listen this is one of the reasons why you don't get too excited about a season early in the season because things like this are in, are, are always happening to teams, right? Not that they always happen to the Cowboys. They happen to all teams. And 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 the mark of a team is how well are they able to overcome this? You know, like the there's the famous the famous story of the Mike McCarthy uh, Super Bowl winning Packers in 2010, where they actually had 77 different players play for that team because that team was riddled with injuries throughout the year. And so we'll, we're going to see, you know, and this is a really deep team. We've, we've talked, we've extolled the virtues of the secondary and how deep they are. And um, I think that, you know, there's guys like, um, uh, who's their six round corner that they just traded up to get Scott. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're going to see, uh, we, he's going to have to make plays at some point. He's going to have to come in and, and in some, in some ways take somebody's, you know, somebody's, snaps uh, and and you know everyone's gonna have to step up and so i think the thing about this and, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording the thing that makes this the most challenging is that in some ways it's a blessing because it means he's likely to be back earlier next season right but it also means that they don't have a whole lot of wiggle room for any more injuries in the secondary, especially especially at right. right. They've used up they've used up their their, their allotment. So it's one thing you know you, you get a guy like that ding for six weeks, but when he's out for the season after game two, especially you know from <laughs> an injury in practice, 
that means you pretty much used up your allotment because you know another injury or, or two or an injury and then and then you know a temporary one something like that happens maybe 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 our friend jordan lewis isn't ready to come back his Liz frank is, is acting up and he misses games here and there and he's touch and go all season and it, it gets dicey man it gets dicey it, no matter how good the, the pass rush is so uh i think this is still going to be a really really good defense but you know they probably have the best secondary in the league, and I'm not sure they do anymore. No, yeah, I, I agree. I, it's uh, that's a that's a huge loss, and I, I, I it scares me when you talk about Eric Scott because I don't know if he's quite ready yet. I mean, he may work out like the Cowboys think that think he will, but I don't think it, that means snaps this early. I would would be surprised if we saw a player like Josh Butler get elevated from the practice squad because I feel like yeah, he would be yeah. more. I would trust him more than C.J. Goodwin or Eric Scott. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. about uh, even. Igby Nagane, I mean, maybe he would be okay. I'm not sure, but um, it'd be curious to see. But last, quick, uh, quick, they have options. They have options. Like, quick, last thing before we go, Brad, I got to ask you. Give me, give me a final score prediction. What you, how you think this is going to go down? Uh, I think it's going to be Cowboys 38-7. Ooh, 38-7. It's crazy how close our prediction. I think you had 19 to six. Yes, 19 to six. Last and I had week, 20 yeah. to six. And we and we do our scores, you know, separately. I have mine written down here. I have thirty-eight to nine. So uh, I don't. I don't think they're getting in the end zone. I think it was a fluke thing that the Jets got in the end zone last time. They're lucky. So still no no end zone for you. I got them three field goals. Um. So but very similar scores. Uh. But that is all we have for our show today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Bloggy the Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you'd like to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, some matchups you're looking for, or, you know, how good do you feel about this Cowboys team, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at DannyFam24. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the world's team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver and blue. And we will catch you later. Class dismissed.